Listener Production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. All right, welcome. Welcome, my beans, and welcome to today's episode. So this episode is all about self-awareness and how you can't change what you don't acknowledge. I actually think that's a phrase that Dr. Phil used to say all the time. I'm pretty sure. You can't change what you don't acknowledge. Something along those lines. So true. So I'm going to base an entire episode around that phrase. Self-awareness is pretty much the key to unlocking so much of your own potential in your life. And the reason for that is because you become really aware of what is in your control, what is not in your control, what you can do about certain situations. I'm going to be breaking down why it is that we struggle with self-awareness, what happens when we're not self-aware, what happens when we are self-aware and what you can do to become more self-aware. It's going to change your relationships. It's going to change your potential as far as you know, happiness, career, jobs, hobbies, anything that you do. The more self-aware you are, the better. And there's a massive difference between being self-aware and beating down on yourself for something that you did that you wish you hadn't done. Very different things, okay? In It's actually the more self-aware you are, the less likely you are to beat down on yourself for something that you did, that you acknowledge that you've done, that you wish you hadn't done, okay? So we're going to be talking about all the above. I don't have a pet hate. I have a pet love for this episode. And that is, so I think I've mentioned how much I fucking love anything to do with like pyramid schemes and multi-level marketing. And mind you, I don't love multi-level marketing. I love like podcasts and documentaries about that shit because I find MLMs and pyramid schemes so fascinating, so cult-like. It blows my mind. And any podcast or documentary that talks about it and debunks it and just brings it to the light is just brilliant. And I had mentioned a podcast ages ago called The Dream. And it's all about like how fucking hectic and weird MLMs and pyramid schemes are. And they've just come out with the third season, not Spawn. I just fucking love it. And this season is all about like the the cultish, like wellness, what's like industry and how culty it can be where you're trying to, anyway, it's fucking good. So go listen to The Dream. If you haven't even listened to it, start from like episode one. Another love of mine is the amount of beautiful fucking beans that have signed up to the six-week membership course, Design Your 2.0 Life. I'm so pumped. So I'm recording this, recording it on a Tuesday, but by the time this goes out, we would have already had our first like live on the closed group. And I'm so pumped to like actually meet everyone on the live. It's going to be so exciting. So um, you can join at any time. So if you're like, fuck, why didn't I join? You can join at any time. These lives are every single fortnight and you've got access to that group um, beyond the six weeks. So yeah, if you want to join being like, I don't want to miss out on the fun party that is the group of Design Your 2.0 Life, then fucking join the party. Um, I should give you the website. What's my website? It's uh, dyfmpod.com and it's on there. So fucking good times. Let's get straight into the brain fact of today. The brain fact is about, it's a little bit about brain anatomy 
And it's about a part of the brain called the corpus callosum. And then I'm going to go into something called split brain around the corpus callosum, the whole thing. So basically the corpus callosum is the largest white matter tract in the brain. So it's made up of more than 200 million myelinated nerve fibers. And if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you'll know what myelin and myelination is. But just to wrap it up quickly, myelin is the fatty covers or sheaths that cover the nerves. And it's it's what makes white matter white. So when you look at the brain, you've got gray matter and you've got white matter. And the white matter is referring to myelinated nerve fibers, basically where there's fat that's wrapped around these nerve fibers. And the reason that there is fat around the nerve fibers is to protect the fibers from damage or injury. And it also improves the speed at which the impulses travel along, like the electrical impulses travel along the axon to the next cell to transmit some sort of signal information. So myelinated nerve fibers. So it's this two, this cluster of 200 million myelinated nerve fibers. And they connect both hemispheres of the brains so they can communicate with each other. So when you talk about lobes in the brain, I talk about the prefrontal cortex all the time, the occipital lobe. I talk about lobes of the brains. There's actually two of every lobe because you've got two hemispheres to your brain, okay? So there's everything's double, right? And those two hemispheres communicate with each other and they communicate through this corpus callosum. And if you've ever seen a diagram of the brain that's kind of been cut down the middle and you're looking at it from like the inside of the brain, the half of the brain, you see this very clear kind of C shape in the middle of the brain. And that's like a cross-sectional, you know, representation of what the corpus callosum is. Um, This corpus callosum, those nerve fibers, facilitate behaviors and emotional responses via something called interhemispheric communication, communication between the two hemispheres. And in certain cases where people or patients have severe, uncontrollable, unstoppable seizures who are additionally to that resistant to anti-seizure medication, they will go undergo something called a corpus callosotomy, okay, also known as split brain surgery. And it's a procedure where the corpus callosum, where the fibers, those 200 million fibers are cut. So they sever the corpus callosum, it is no longer. So you've still got the two brain halves operating, but not communicating with each other. Okay. And the reason they do that is to stop seizures from spreading from one hemisphere to the other hemisphere. It doesn't completely stop the seizures. It definitely reduces the the number of seizures dramatically. Um, They do still continue on the original side, but it also makes the seizures less severe because they're not crossing over to the other side. They also found that um, there's something called drop attacks, whereas where people have seizures where they just drop down. They'll be walking, they'll be operating normally, and then they just, you know, completely drop to the floor, which obviously, as you can imagine, can be extremely, extremely dangerous. And this is found to help the rate of drop attacks or these drop seizures. Then we've got something, so that's that's split brain surgery or a corpus callosotomy. Then we've got something called and genesis of the corpus callosum, which is congenital, meaning present at birth. If you ever hear something congenital, whatever, it means it's present at birth. And it is where a person is born with part of or all of the corpus callosum missing. 
And this can be caused by a whole bunch of things. It can be caused by a disruption of brain cell migration during like the developmental phase of the fetus. It could be inherited as an autosomal recessive trait. Autosomal means that it's a gene located on a numbered chromosome, not a sex chromosome. Um, and recessive meaning that a mutation on both parents' genes are kind of needed in order for the the disease or for the trait to be expressed or for it to be developed. So those are like the main reasons why that would happen. Um, and it can range, like there can be all these symptoms that come from that. So delays in developmental milestones like walking, reading, because the two brain halves are not communicating with each other. And then poor motor coordination as well, like in things that require coordinating like opposite hand and foot, like riding a bike, um, cycling, swimming, driving, things like that. Um, and then you can also have things with like impairments in social processing and social interaction and things like that. Now, Interestingly, they've also found that victims of child abuse who then develop PTSD have been associated with having reduced volume in the corpus callosum, in that fibre tract. And it's not to say that it's completely causal, as in trauma and abuse causes the fibre tract to reduce, um, but it has been observed. And what I mean by that is sometimes you'll you'll notice, you'll observe something and you'll think, oh my God, that must cause it. Child abuse that leads to PTSD must cause a reduction in the corpus callosum. But another way of looking at it could be that children who are exposed, because not all children who are exposed to abuse develop post-traumatic stress disorder. So you could look at it and say children that are born with reduced volume in the corpus callosum who are then abused are more likely to develop PTSD versus those that have more volume. So we don't know if if it's just a, um, a some sort of a relationship or if it's a causal relationship, okay? So correlation or causality, all of that stuff. So that's fucking interesting. But now I want to talk about what happens in something called split brain where the two hemispheres are not connected, like I said, split brain surgery, where people have been having the seizures, they undergo that procedure, where they cut the corpus callosum, now you've got your two hemispheres working independently. Now, some of the functions of your brain are localised to one hemisphere, or most of that function is localised to one hemisphere. Now, this is not to talk about the myth, which has been very much debunked, of like left brain, right brain, I'm more left brain, I'm more right brain. That is fucking so beyond a myth, it's not even a joke. Well, it is a joke, technically. But that's not what we're talking about. So we're talking about um, localised functions within the brain. For example, language and language processing and things like that. So we've got, in most people, you've got speech that's localised in the left brain. Um, and the left is, in general, better at recognising language, interpreting speech, processing verbal memory, verbal meaning, writing, reading, speech comprehension, all of that. The right side in general, is good at recognising emotion, recognising patterns, can analyse sounds other than language, music and things like that, good at processing non-verbal memory, good at spatial reasoning, good at direction and distance and all of that, okay? So you've got these localised 
regions that specialize in, in you know, processing different things in the different hemispheres. Um, but they're not completely limited. You've just got more of a dominance on one side. It's not completely limited. And in some cases, it's reversed. So even though in most cases, the left is more for speech, interpreting speech, verbal meaning and memory and writing, whatever, and the right is more for emotions and sounds and shapes and whatever. Um, in some cases, that can be reversed to the other hemispheres. So language being on the right, and nonverbal stuff being on the left. And these people, when that is reversed, are normally left-handed like me. So who knows if mine's reversed? Fuck knows. Yeah, I don't know how you would determine that. But anyway, experiments were done on people who had that surgery and it, sh- it taught us a lot about how the brain like localizes things and processes things when the two hemispheres are working independently. So going back to it, pretending that the left is on the the left is taking care of speech and the right is taking care of, you know, spatial processing, all of that. Um, They had people stare at a screen, people who had gone through that split brain surgery, stare at a screen, stare at a central point in the screen. And a word, if a word flashed on the right side of the screen, mind you, it's coming up in their peripheral vision because they're staring at a focal point. If a word flashes on the right side of the screen, the patient would be able to read the word aloud. They would see the word and they would read it out. So it's like dog. Dog comes up, they say dog. If the word is flashing on the left side of the screen, um, which is the language dominant hemisphere, they can't read the word and they say, I don't know what it is. But if you ask them to draw it with their right hand, because, the, you know, a different hemispheres control the different the opposite sides of the body and that crosses over through the spinal cord. If they, got, if they were to draw it, they could draw the word. So they would, they would see a word but they would say, I don't know what that was. I saw something, but I don't know what the word is, but they would be able to draw it. So like ball, ball would come up. And because it's not connected to the side of the the visual field that interprets language directly, they can't say it. But because it's interpreting, you know, there is some sort of an interpretation and the movement and motor is controlled by that side of the brain, they would be able to draw it, but not say it. So it shows us how much unconscious processing is occurring in the brain, even when the two hemispheres are not communicating with each other. Most of our, you know, experience through life is unconscious processing. And this is a really good example. So to wrap up with the corpus callosum, people who do have this procedure can function very fucking normally after the recovery period has passed. So during the recovery period, they might have like, you know, problems with speech and, you know, motor problems and this and that, but that they regain all of that very soon after. So it's quite incredible how the body can operate with the two hemispheres working independently from each other. Cool beans. That is the brain fact of today. Let's get straight into the topic of today's episode. So we're talking all about self-awareness, the importance of self-awareness. And I wanted to start with why we are not self-aware in the first place or why we struggle to be self-aware in the first place. The first reason is because it's hard. So it's really easy to see what other people are doing and to get annoyed about what other people are doing, but it's really hard to turn the lens on yourself and be like, oh, I'm doing that annoying thing too. Like it's really easy to be annoyed and put the blame on something or someone else when something isn't working. It's like saying, oh, 
the reason I failed at that job is because the boss didn't like me. No one ever likes me. I just don't, people just don't like me. I'm too much. I'm this, I'm that. I never get given an opportunity because of all these reasons. And you start picking out all these external reasons as to why things didn't go well. Or like the reason I didn't do well in that race is because the gravel is different to what it normally is. And then they, this, and, and someone kept me up at night. And so all these things are outside of yourself. So it's very easy to pinpoint this went wrong, this went wrong. All these fucking things went wrong but I didn't do anything wrong or I wasn't responsible of that, okay? And normally when we do have some responsibility of why something went wrong or why something isn't going our way, we kind of brush it under the rug. We don't really like to address it. Um, And we just talk about all the other reasons why it went wrong. And the reason we don't like to address it is because it raises things about ourselves that cause us to be vulnerable, and people look at vulnerability as being exposed to harm or exposed to cr- something that's going to hurt you, criticism, um, rejection, all sorts of things. So we don't like to bring our wrongs or the things we've done wrong to light because we're like, I'm going to get hurt if I do this. So I'm going to say that the reason this didn't work out for me is all these external factors and nothing that I did was the reason because if I start talking about what I did wrong, I'm exposing myself and people don't like to expose themselves. The other reason why we're not self-aware is that, or why we don't like being self-aware is that it forces change. The moment you acknowledge something, the moment you shed light on something or admit something out loud or to yourself consciously, it's now a lot harder to ignore that thing. So then you've got no option than to do things differently and doing things differently can be very uncomfortable. People in general don't really like change, especially if that change equals discomfort or putting yourself in, you know, where something used to be easy. Now it's really hard. People don't love to do that on a whim. Another thing is that when we do things differently, when we are aware and we do things differently, we make mistakes and it takes us a while to get good at that new thing again. And then it highlights our vulnerabilities, which we don't like. And then the fourth reason why we're not self-aware or why we don't like being self-aware is that we it often requires us to admit it not just to ourselves but to other people where we were wrong or where we need what we need to apologize for and people really struggle with apology like really struggle with apology i have i think we all at some level there are some people that just innately are really good at apologizing and i fucking love that for you and i wish that we were all born that way. But I, I, I could hand on my heart say that I've been very proud in my time and really struggled to apologize. And I've learned a lot from different people and observing how powerful an apology can be for, you know, when someone can apologize and apologize properly, it actually makes me respect them and be kind of in awe of someone. I think it shows a lot of comfort in someone's own skin and confidence for someone to genuinely be able to deliver a proper apology. It's very impressive. But we look at apology as we're exposing ourselves. Now, what happens when we have zero to no self-awareness? This is now we're talking about the repercussions of that. We become a victim to our circumstances all the time, whether we do it consciously or whether we do it unconsciously. Because if you're never taking ownership or if you're never being aware of your input or your the role that you played in something going well and not going well, then you're basically saying my success is 
purely due to external things falling into place for me. And if those external things don't go well, then things can't go well for me. That's basically what you're saying. But if you turn around and say, I could have done that better. I could have been better prepared. I was not the most prepared in the room. I had not trained the hardest in the room. This is why I didn't come first. This is why I didn't get that job because I could have prepared more. You're not calling yourself an idiot. You're not saying all these things, but you're saying, here's something I could have controlled. That person controlled it better than I did on the day. End of story. But now that's in my control. I can do things to prepare for it better next time, you know? Um, So if you don't have that self-awareness, you become a victim to your own circumstances. You also cannot change the things that are within your control. If you're always saying, oh, I always... I always end up with a fuckwit. I always end up with a fuckwit. That's not to say it's your fault that you're with a fuckwit, but sometimes we don't like to really look at, okay, what was it that attracted me to this person in the first place? And is there a pattern that's attracted me to these fuckwits repeatedly? You know, for example, one of my good friends, she's like, oh, but nice people are boring. They're boring. And then so she goes for someone who's fucking toxic and who never texts back and then like it's this volatile thing and it's exciting at the start but then really painful later and I said is there a pattern here she's like yeah that I always get stuck with assholes I'm like no no is there a pattern in your behavior not saying it's your fault but what are you seeking you label everyone nice as boring when that's not true but you're choosing to have that cognitive bias So now everyone who's nice is boring. So you're dismissing all the boring people, quote unquote, boring people, nice people. Then you want, you want excitement. You think that passion is emotional manipulation and it's not. You think that being ignored and the feeling of excitement when they don't ignore you is the same as butterflies of love. They're two completely separate things and you're confusing them. So now you're seeking that shit, right? And then you ask why it is that you always end up with dickheads because the thing that you seek is only present in dickheads. It's statistics, okay? So once you become aware of the, the, the role that you play in certain things in your life, you are able to control it a bit better. So you can't control someone treating you like shit, but you can control how aware you are of the red flags. You can control what to do when you do see a red flag. Because this friend of mine, she'll see the red flag. She's like, but it's fun. I'm like, well, hey, if being miserable makes you happy, be miserable. Well, I don't know what to say. The next thing is that we think that more is not in our control than the reality of the situation. When you're not self-aware, you start thinking that you have very little control in the good and in the bad, which is bad because then you don't take credit for the good things either. And that's where imposter syndrome comes in and all of that and like the need to be perfect because you're not taking ownership for the good that you do. When you can be, when you can own the bad, you can own the good. If you can't own the bad, you can't own the good, all right? Now, we also become avoidant and defensive because we perceive criticism, even constructing criticism, or being wrong as like a threat to who we are. So when, when we're not able to be like, you fucking got me, I was wrong, you're right, how can I change it, how can I learn? If you can't do that, then you're going to have your walls up. Your partner says, hey... I really didn't appreciate you doing this. And you're like, oh, fuck, well, fuck, I'll fucking never do it again then. And I don't appreciate it. And you go on the attack instead of being like, is this a teachable moment for me? Is my partner raising something that's fucking legit where I could do something to better our relationship? Or am I going to perceive this as an attack 
and am I going to shut them down and then they're never going to be able to come to me with something and then our relationship starts to deteriorate because we have no communication, okay? So self-awareness is the key to everything. It's the key to good communication. It's the key to understanding where you can win, where you're going to lose, where you can improve. It's everything. Why is self-awareness important? It stops us from repeating the same error, okay? So it's no good. So, for example, a little analogy. It's no good like deciding something. I want to do something, whatever. Putting it out there and then just hoping for the best without being like, all right, what's my track record? What am I good at? What am I not so good at? How can I prepare so I don't make the same mistake again? So an example is like saying, I'm over Sydney. I'm That's it. I'm done with Sydney. I'm going to drive to Queensland. I'm moving to Queensland. So you get in your car. You haven't serviced the car for ages. The tires are fucked. The car has had no like service history. You're driving up. You've not put fuel in it. You're driving up to Queensland and the car breaks down. So you say to yourself, well, Queensland is obviously not for me. It's fucked. Queensland's fucked. Everything goes wrong for me. Fuck this. Fuck that. And then you come back to Sydney. Then you wait a few months and you're like, what about Melbourne what about Melbourne? And then you get in the same fucking car that hasn't been serviced, that has no fuel, that has no fresh tires. You're heading down to Melbourne and the same fucking thing happens again. And you're like, fuck Melbourne, fuck this, everything fucking happens to me. That's the analogy. Okay. It stops us being self-aware, stops us from repeating the same error. You could have looked at that and said, maybe if I fixed the shit that was already going on before I embarked on something, this wouldn't have happened. And it doesn't matter what I set out to do. If I'm not addressing the shit that I have to work with right now, then nothing's going to fall into place the way I want it to. So I need to be able to look at it and say, this is broken, this can be fixed, this is easily fixed if I just become aware. It becomes really difficult to fix something that you're not aware of. If you don't become self-aware and acknowledge what isn't working for you, then that same thing is going to be bringing you down every single time, okay? And then every single time you let yourself down, you think, I knew this wouldn't work. I fucking knew this wouldn't happen. I knew it. And that's where cognitive bias comes in. You start seeking out or you start noticing the same patterns in all these things. And then you're like reinforcing this idea that nothing works for me. Nothing ever goes right for me. I knew this wouldn't happen. Ha, huh, it's me we're talking about. I knew it wouldn't happen. When have I ever, when has something ever gone well for me? And it's that like really like victim self-deprecating talk. Um, it also helps you become way more prepared for other things if you can be self-aware because you learn from your mistakes. So if you know, for example, that you have been super, let's, let's take a personality trait as an example or a character trait, which can be changed, mind you. If you know that you've been like super overbearing on someone and super imposing on them and really in their face about everything they do, a, an example of this is certain friends are like that, parents can be like this. Um, and then people don't like it and they start to pull away. You could, you've got two options here. You could say, take it or leave it, that's me. That If you can't have me at my worst, you can't have me at my best. And so then everyone starts, you know, pulling away because they're like, this is really intense. We've told you you're overbearing. You're refusing to change. You're saying, take it or leave it, that's me. No one can handle me. No one can handle me. I'm intense. I'm intense. I can't wait to, you know, for someone to deserve me no awareness over the fact that maybe you're playing a role here where you are overbearing and you're imposing way too much on someone else's life. So people are pulling away a bit. They're like, I love you, but it's too much, right? Like you're not giving me space. You're not giving me privacy. You keep telling me what to do. You judge me when I do something that you don't want me to do. And I don't like that energy, but you just, 
you're like, oh no, you're saying I'm too much, right? Or instead, you could think, maybe if I learnt to behave in a way to my child or to my friends where we could coexist and mutually respect each other, maybe we wouldn't clash heads as much. Maybe we could find a way to have actually a really nice relationship because I start realising there's certain behaviours of mine that they don't love. Whether I think it's good or not, if they don't like it, maybe I just don't. Maybe I just don't do it. And then everybody wins and we can have this beautiful, cohesive relationship. That's the difference of what self-awareness can give you. It can give you a mended relationship or it can push people further away because you refuse to acknowledge any of your behaviours as being, you know, annoying or unhealthy or just like overbearing on somebody else. So that's an example. Now, we're going to talk about what you can do to change this, how you can become more self-aware. The first thing to do is every time you complain about something that someone does, just pause in your own head, doesn't have to be out loud, and just ask yourself, have I ever done this or the same to somebody else? So a really good example of this, and it's a really good way of starting to train yourself to be self-aware, is when it comes to road rage. Or not even road rage. Road rage is like an extreme like version of what I mean, but frustration when you're driving. So for example, you're at the lights, the lights go green, the person in front of you is not moving, they go yellow and then they go red. And you're like, fuck this fucking idiot, fuck. And you're like, this morons made me, you know, ah, you're having this like conniption, right? Without realizing, wait a minute, for sure I've been distracted in the past. For sure I've done that to somebody else. And while it's annoying, you start to become less reactive and you start to become more aware, being like, we all get distracted. That person could have had something on their mind. That person could have just been dealt with some really awful news and they're just on another planet or they're just having a sad day or they're just on another planet like all of us are half the time, you know, and it just makes you realize that you do it too. Everyone does it. It becomes, you 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 gain more understanding of other people and then you realize, well, people have granted me patience when I've done it. I can grant someone else, else patience when they're doing that thing. And I'm not just talking about obviously road rage and things like that, but it could be, it could be anything. It could be making someone wait being reactive when someone's been reactive to you, you could be like, oh, you blew up at me, but we've all been reactive at some point in our life. You know, being completely disinterested, you can be annoyed because someone's on their phone, but surely you've unintentionally ignored someone in your time as well. You know, like a lot of the time it goes both ways. And if it doesn't go both ways, a lot of the time we can be like, mm, I'm getting annoyed because my partner, you know, is too jealous of me, but can I stand here and say that I'm genuinely not jealous and I don't impose these jealous beliefs on my partner? And if you can genuinely say, no, I don't do that, then okay, fine. You can address it and talk about it, whatever, but always check your shit before pulling other people up on their shit. There's nothing worse. Well, there's a lot worse like murderers and shit, but there's, a, well, anyway, it annoys me when someone's so hypocritical. Okay. So I wouldn't say there's nothing worse than a hypocrite, but it's fucking annoying. The next thing is when you own the things that you could have had control over to fix it and to be better and to show up as more prepared, then you can own the good things. You take ownership of a lot of the good things in your life and you start really knowing how to own your wins. It's really important 
to learn to own your wins. Because if you say, oh, no, I'm just lucky or, I, you know, this just happened out of chance or out of luck because everything that happens to you is from external circumstances, then you're not going to have that confidence to go in hard the next time. You're not going to be able, you're not going to feel confident to, you know, ask for what you're deserving of, to ask for a pay rise or to to know how replaceable or irreplaceable you are in the workplace and things like that. When you can really own the bad and be like, hey, that was in my control. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. However, this is what I'm good at. This is what was in my control. The reason I'm successful is because of these things that I did. It's not because of luck. It's not because of these things. I earned those things. Okay. And when you can own the bad, you can own the good. And someone who can really truly own their good with the bad is someone who is unstoppable. They are very confident, not cocky, confident. And there's a huge difference. Cocky is I want you to believe that I'm good and I'm going to be better and perceive and make everyone perceive me as better. Confidence is I'm very comfortable with who I am. I know what I bring to the table. I know what I'm worth. It's more of an internal thing. That's the difference between cockiness and confidence. They cannot be mistaken. If someone's cocky, they're a fucking cock and you can't like you cannot mistake it. Confidence is all about one's self and how they feel in an environment. Okay? And you will become very confident when you can own the good and the bad and not feel like you have to hide your mistakes. A confident person can very comfortably say, this is what I did wrong. This is what I would have done had I had the opportunity with the knowledge I have now. This is what I will do next time if presented with that same opportunity. This is where I fucked up in my last relationships. There's nothing more impressive than someone who can say, this is what I did wrong in the past and what I've learned from it. It's really impressive. And that those are the people that you can take seriously. If someone's like, I've never done anything wrong. Everyone else is a fuckwit. I've just dated assholes who are fucked. You're like, mm, maybe, but unlikely. The next thing you can do to help you become more self-aware is to learn to admit that you did something wrong or to apologize without a but or without an excuse after. If there's an excuse, a legitimate, legitimate reason for why you did something, then you're not really apologize. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you're like, the reason I did that is because I, I was in this position where I had to do that. So that's okay to explain yourself. But if you fucked up and if you hurt someone and you're like, mm, I really should apologize, but I want to take the ownership away from me. That's not an apology. An apology is taking ownership for something that you did. You either own it or you don't. Okay. So Yes, you can be in a really unhealthy relationship where you're not communicating and whatever, but if you have an affair, you had an affair, right? You still went and fucked that person or made out with them or whatever. So yes, there might be other shit going on, but you can still take ownership for that action without saying, but you don't say hello to me in the morning, so I went and fucked the neighbor. Like, that's not how it works. You have to own what you've done. And when you can own what you've done, your partner or the person that you're talking to starts to drop their wall down. They start to communicate better with you. It's so nice when someone says, I'm sorry for not paying attention to you. I noticed that I haven't been paying attention to you when you talked to me the last couple of weeks. It's not fair and I'm sorry. End of story. Not, 
but I'm really fucking busy and the reason I'm blah, 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 like, shut up. The moment you start giving all these stupid excuses, it takes away from the significance of that apology. When you can learn to apologize and take complete ownership for that behavior, you're not taking ownership for everything breaking down. You're just owning the behavior then the person you are talking to is either going to respond very, very well or if they don't respond and they jump on and attack you, red flag, say ya, okay? But when people can respond well to an apology, that is when the communication gates open up really nicely, really fucking nicely. Um, and that's one thing that – so I've, I've been learning to apologize my whole life. Every, I think it's like a, whole, a lifelong thing where you learn to apologize for, for whatever. But when you date someone or when you have a friend – who is really good at apologizing. It becomes so much easier for you to be that as well. So for me with Tyrone, Tyrone is like, you don't even have to tell him. He will be like, oh, I did that. I own that. I'm so sorry for doing that. That's it. No, but this, but that. Like, So I find it's a very, very healthy, open like conversation that I can have with Tyrone and I never feel attacked when I apologize for something because I never attack him when he apologizes. So we have this very, if we fuck up on one thing or if we do something where whatever, we'll just apologize and I've learned a lot from him. He's taught me a lot with just, you know, even when we have a disagreement or an argument, he's always the first person to like make the peace. He always wants to make the peace. He's like, we can still be annoyed at what happened, but we don't have to be angry at each other. Like he's got this really peaceful approach. And so he's taught me that. So when you date people like that, it accelerates your process of learning if you're open to it. And if you don't have someone that you're dating or a friend that's like that, be the person that can accelerate that process and learn how to apologize. And you'll see how quickly people um, respond very positively to that. You'll be amazed at how, how instantly it just drops the walls down and it opens things up for conversation when you can apologize without an excuse or a but. It's really nice. Um, and then the last thing is the release the need for blaming. Okay. See if you can look at a scenario. Sometimes it's 100% you blame someone. There's like someone is literally the culprit and that is for sure. But this surely is not the case across every single like aspect of your life. So see if you can look at certain scenarios and not feel the need to blame somebody. We are obsessed with blaming. Okay. Um, we blame this person didn't see me for what I was worth or or this or whatever. Like we'll throw all these reasons as to why something didn't go well. And sometimes you can just look at it and being like, given the situation I was in, it was not my day. I didn't prepare enough. I didn't factor in for this. I learned something that I didn't know that I'd be up against. And now I know for next time. Sometimes you can be like, oh, here's all these learnings that I gathered from that thing that didn't go well for me without saying that person's a fuckwit for not giving me a chance. Now I'm going to prove them wrong. That person didn't hire me. Watch, watch, fucking watch me get revenge. That's not a very peaceful way of living your life. And instead of putting your energy into proving someone wrong or proving someone something, that same energy you can like turn around and use it for something useful for yourself. You know, when it comes to energy, you need to be a bit more um, stingy with where you distribute it. Because if you're always distributing it in like revenge, this, fuck this person, fuck this, I'm going to fucking, what's left for you? Anger, resentment, victim, it's not good. Okay. So that's what you want to do. So in summary, with what you can do to change it, 
Every time you complain about what someone does, just as an exercise for self-awareness, ask yourself, have I done the same thing or do I do the same thing? Just to be aware. And then you start becoming aware of your own behaviors. You need to be able to own the bad so you can own the good and be good at owning the good things that you've done. Don't say it's out of luck or whatever. If you've earned something, admit that you've earned it. Learn how to own the good as well. Um, Learn to admit your wrongs out loud to yourself and to others when it's relevant. Learn to apologize without an excuse or a but straight after the apology and release the need for blame. You're going to realize that when you start putting all these things together, everything's going to unfold so much better. You're going to have way more awareness of where you stand in so many situations in your life. And that's where you're going to be able to be like, I can do better at that. And that's why I haven't succeeded in that because I keep coming across the same roadblocks because I haven't, you know, addressed this other thing that was causing it. Or, you know, my relationships could be so much nicer if I cracked open what it is that I seek in someone. And why do I always seek these same things? What do I... What do I link to excitement and fun versus what do I link to boring? You know, all these things that we could, you know, crack open and look at how we perceive things and what the language is around them helps us kind of tweak it and change it for the future situations that we'll find ourselves in. And you're going to find that the more self-aware you are around all these things, the better things are going to go for you in your life. You're going to feel like you have way more control than you give yourself credit for way more control. Don't siphon off control to all these other external things when really there's a lot that you can be doing to change your current situation, your current circumstances. Right. That is that. We are now going to go into the listener question of the day. You have one unheard message. Hey, mate, I've been listening to your podcast over the past couple of weeks, which has been hugely helpful. I was in a five-year relationship that ended pretty badly. For five years, I felt like I was supporting my partner mentally and professionally and trying to help her reach her goals, but she never seemed happy with what she was doing in her life. She wanted to start a photography and social media content business, so I bought her a camera and computer to get started. She left her original job without any financial backing, which I thought was a bit reckless, but I backed her anyway. She lost a client that I had originally introduced her to. So then I got back in the saddle to get her another client to only have her let them down as well, which blew up in my face. I did say that she was suffering from pressure to which I stood by her mentally when she told me she was suffering from anxiety and depression. But I felt she didn't take any accountability towards how it made me feel when my integrity had been compromised. I didn't even get a real apology, which led to me shutting down and getting really cold when she was reflecting to me how I made her feel when I was resenting her for what had happened. She said, how does the way I am perceived in business have any compass on her mental health? She then had an opportunity for one of my best friend's weddings to do their photography on which she promised she would have them edited and back to them the week before we left on our Europe trip that I had paid for. The photos never came in time and we broke down again and I ended up walking out on her three days before we were meant to leave for Europe because not once did she ever pay attention to how I was feeling about all the help that I had tried to give her. She accused me of cheating, which I felt she was trying to manipulate a situation. It made walking away an easy, an easier decision. My boundaries and values had been squashed. She's moved on after three weeks while I was away with a bloke that was in one of our friendship groups, which I was naive to as I remember them having one of those conversations about me at parties. I'm sure she has some unhealed trauma. She has spoken about it and she started to do the work, but I feel that my needs were not being met. I sh- I'm sure I also have issues due to my ambitions and what I- and where I want to be in life. I've been labeled as a narcissist 
But after I have had time to sit and consume my feelings and listen to your content, I feel I was always being manipulated from her and she always played the victim. Yes, I probably was a bit pushy, but I thought I was doing the right thing. Can't let go. And I want her back to see if I can make it better because I feel my decision to walk out when she tried to talk to me that night I felt was wrong. But I was at the end of the tether because I couldn't see any changes towards the things she wanted for her life as well. Okay. Thank you for writing in. I want to say to start with, you tried to talk to her several times. You're you're beating yourself up because you didn't talk to her the night she tried to talk to you. But this conversation, you tried to have this conversation several times and she would just shut you down and not listen to you, okay? Um, Based on what you are telling me with no insight into your life whatsoever, I don't believe that you are a narcissist. Um... That's just the vibe I'm getting based off your, obviously I haven't heard it from her side, but I don't think you're a narcissist at all. That's not, yeah, no. I just feel for you that you're struggling with this breakup also because of how it ended. But if you ask yourself, um, is she, uh, does she possess the qualities of somebody that I see myself living with long term, is the answer yes or is the answer no? Because there was a lot of frustrations here. There was a lot of things that you didn't like about her her character, about how she would let people down repeatedly, about, you know, a lot of things that you weren't aligning on as a couple that you didn't really like. And then you leave her because you're like, this is a decision I need to make. It's just all too much. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. It's not happening. You leave her. It didn't go how you wanted it to go because it wasn't a good, clean break. She tried to talk to you, you walked away, and now she's moved on. So I think you're struggling with how it has ended, not so much that it has ended. So a lot of the time we will torture ourselves over how a relationship has ended because we're like, it could have been more peaceful. And maybe if it was more peaceful, would it even have ended? And and you make this knot in your head. But sometimes you've got to look at like, is this really the relationship that I wanted? Like you've got to remind yourself of the struggles and the constant, um, and the constant conversations that you tried to have with her and how it just was not going your way. And is that you know, because you can't date someone for their potential. You've got to date someone for what they're bringing to the table in that moment because you could be dating them for another 50 fucking years before that potential is realized. So you date someone, if someone's working on it and you see progress and they're like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, let's work together, whatever, 100%. But that again is not dating someone for their potential because they're actually doing the work to better themselves. So again, you're dating someone who's doing the work, but someone just sitting there and you're thinking they have the potential to be good, but they're not actioning anything I don't think is worth your while, okay? You should not be dating someone for the potential that you see in them. You should be dating someone for what you see them do, what their actions are saying, okay? And based on this, her actions weren't saying much at all other than the fact that she's, you know, and it's fine for people to have their own shit and their own trauma. She's not a bad person. You're not saying she's a bad person. You're saying, do I want to date someone? There's very different things. You're not saying just because I don't want to date you, you're bad. No, it's saying this doesn't correlate with a relationship that I would flourish in as an individual. And you're obviously not flourishing in this relationship. So is this a good relationship for us to be in? And, you know, you mentioned that she has unhealed traumas that she's spoken about and you might as well, that is fine. But if someone's not willing to work on their own traumas, it is not your responsibility to have to 
bear the brunt of that trauma if they're not willing to work on it. You can if you want, and that's okay as well, but you don't have to. Just because someone has something awful happen to them, you don't also have to then be exposed to those awful things, you know, being regurgitated again. It sounds cold, but it's true. You know, it's like just because you've been cheated on, it doesn't mean that you can then treat your partner like shit until they prove themselves to you because you've got that trauma of being cheated on. And I wouldn't go so far as to call cheating trauma, but anyway, just for the sake of the argument, you have to always think like, it is not my responsibility to try and fix somebody. I will be here for you. I will help you work through something, but I'm not the one pulling the weight. We're either working on something together or we're not at all. And by we're not at all, you're not and I'm not and we're not together. Okay. So it just seems to me that this is not the right time for her or for you based on that whole story. And now you just, because I was actually surprised when I read the end of, end of it, that all of a sudden you're like, can't let go and I want her back. I'm like, what? Why? Because you seem very unhappy with her in the first place. So maybe you should ask yourself, am I missing, am I just like upset about how it ended and the fact that she's moved on before me, so it's highlighting a lot for me? Do I actually want that kind of relationship in my life? And you probably don't. I don't know. Anyway, that's my answer to the listener question. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Hopefully you were able to put some of those things into practice. If you do want to send in a listener question, um, just write into info at dyfmpod.com. And if you do want to join the course and start joining the fortnightly um, lives where I can chat to you all, then just go to um, dyfmpod.com and go into the membership section. I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped for the first live. You have no idea. Also, if you want to check out um, anything more about what I spoke about, we've got more like readings and links and stuff in the episode show notes. So go and check that out. Do some further reading about your corpus callosum. Guys, that is all for today. I love you all so much. Just shout out to some like global beans. Shout out to my beans in Dublin. Love you all so much. Um, That is all. As always, remember, be kind to yourself. Be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone. And especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke. Listener.